Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston. Kind of doing a weekend wrap of the last three games Plenty to talk about. Another pitcher-heavy episode, but we will kind of get into uh, some guys in the lineup as well. For the second show in a row, I am joined by Charlie Smith, Job Goddard. I didn't fire the other guys. It just worked out this way. <laughs> I thought hey I guys, I missed you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so. uh, no, it's, it, it's, it's good. Um, I mean... Shirt probably could use a wash, but you know we keep winning. So which shirt is that again? Just lose. for the record. Oh, this is just the Red Sox shirt. None of our friends on the back of this one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. Tara's ready to throw his Gatorade at me. You want funny Depending story? Funny story. I don't know if I've said it much on the podcast, but you guys most likely know I do play cribbage competitively in tournaments throughout New England. My second ever. I did not know that. I it's it's my nerdy thing. Yeah, I love cribbage. Really? Uh, we'll talk. Oh, I'm a big fan. We'll talk after the show about it. Um, but anyway, I wore my Jonathan Papel Bond shirt for one tournament. I think it was like my let's see, it was my second or third year full time. Wore my Papel Bond shirt. One uh, drew seat number fifty eight, the same number that was on my back. Won the tournament. What? <laughs> I did. No yeah. way. Yeah. After that, you got to bring a jersey number for every single seat that you draw. <laughs> I should. Change it as you go. You know, and since then, I, that's all I think about. Like, I've been 41 a couple of times. And I'm like, oh, Chris Sale's number. I'm going to be dealing today. And uh, I don't. I can't remember how those went. But I I, I definitely know I didn't. He's play. injured, bro. <laughs> yeah. He's injured. they didn't go great. Yeah. <laughs> you would remember the great ones. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. But that was a lucky shirt for me for a while, so I, I still have it. But it's it's too tattered to to wear in public. I wore the crap out of it. You can barely even see the the fifty eight on it anymore. But yeah, so I, I'm I'm wrapping my I got my postseason two thousand thirteen hoodie on from the uh, the you know that championship season. So anyway, I'm not in uniform this evening. No. No, you're, no, you're I'm out of uniform. I wore uniform all day. You're Bobby nice. Valentine. You're in disguise. <laughs> don't, don't insult me like that. I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. I'm just kidding. You're, oh, God. Yeah. You're, we, everybody knows you're like Dan Shaughnessy's doppelganger. You know, if he needs a stunt yes, devil. I am. If he needs a yeah, stunt man, devil, we're calling seriously. you. Seriously. <laughs> Shaughnessy's a great guy to talk to about podcasting, journalism, all that stuff. He was willing to reach out and talk to me on the phone a couple of times. Uh, he's a really cool dude, so I'll take that all day long. Is it one of those you're not saying you're Dan Shaughnessy, but you are saying that no one's ever seen the two of you together? I didn't say it. Yeah, we're thinking <laughs> it, though. <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing I noticed about Job when he you know, got into the process to, to fill the spot that he ended up taking and I'm like, man, we got a we got a Shauncey look alike. <laughs> yeah, so we're all on so video. So far, it's worked out pretty good. Yeah, absolutely, it's worked out great. 
and the the audience doesn't really know we are uh, using Google Meet right now, so we see each other even though they don't see us. But but anyway, let's let's get down to brass tacks. Nathan Avoldi today started off dealing, just mowing his way through that Minnesota Twins lineup. His stat line ended up four innings pitched, seven hits, four earned runs, did not walk anybody, struck out three. He hit 100 miles an hour plus on the gun 10 times today. So the velo is there, but kind of fell apart just after the, uh, well, most of the way through the second time through the batting order. So, Charlie, go ahead. What are you, what are your thoughts on a volley? Uh, nice to see triple digits because I can count on one hand, in fact, just a couple of fingers on the players that can <laughs> actually trap, you know, kind of crack 100. Uh, but, you know, just what you said, this is only the second time we've seen him this spring. Um, got shellacked in the fourth inning. Gave up three runs and five hits. Um it's still promising, you know, like I, I thought, you know, yeah, the last time we were on the show feels like yesterday, but not, um, I remember hearing, you know, Nate Evaldi in the bulb and I was thinking, what a stupid idea. How dumb is that? And then I was like, you know what? Terry's insane, but like insane people make good decisions. <laughs> Nate Evaldi in the bullpen, the more you think about it, it does make sense. Because if you if you try to put him in the rotation and he's out, you're screwed. Whereas if you can monitor him once every like second or third day for an inning, two innings there, maybe a three-inning appearance there, four innings and then a break for four or five days, you could actually get a lot of use out of someone like that. He might crack 100-plus innings and actually more diplomatically get to where he's supposed to be. Because it's possible that his time as a, as a starter is over. I mean, we just saw him do three innings of, of solid work and then get shelled in inning number four. Do I think there's a possibility for him to go five, six? Sure. But I'm not as opposed to seeing him in the bullpen now. I mean, you know where I stand on this whole thing. I always thought he'd be good in the bullpen. I've, I've been telling people that on Twitter for the last 10 days or so. I think he'd be good in the bullpen. I just don't think it's going to happen. He's owed $17 million. They're not wasting $17 million in the bullpen. On top of that, Cora is very much a player's manager, and he won't put a, he won't demote, quote-unquote, a veteran to the bullpen, even if that's what best serves the team, unless it's it really starts to boil down to he can't get four innings out of him in the regular season. He doesn't care about spring training. Avaldi himself today said he was pleased with his performance. He doesn't care about results. He wanted to see movement on his pitches, which he was happy with, especially the cutter. Um, he mentioned in his post-game press conference, and he's happy with his curveball. So he doesn't care about the the results of these games, and I don't think we should really either. That being said, I mean we saw him go out every fifth day over the season last season, and go for five innings, and the third time through the order he got shelled. So I don't know what the best use for Nathan Valdi is because if he's not good. It's a problem. We need him to be at least as good as he was last year. I don't know if he can do that. I hope he can. But 100 miles an hour is great. I love I love seeing 100 miles an hour out of the gate. I know Cora's kind of upset about it. I, I saw in his post-game press conference, he wished that he would tune it down a little bit so he doesn't get hurt. But, um, you know, it is how, it is what it is. I, I hope to see that velocity during the season. Here's the thing about Evaldi, though. If you see Evaldi woofing it at 93-94 and not doing what he's doing, you know, not this, like, <sighs> 
every single time he throws 100 mile an hour gas like he did against the Dodgers during the World Series, you know he's not giving it his all. And Nate Evaldi isn't a guy who's not going to give it his all. That's probably no, why he does get injured. He's a competitor. Injured. He's a competitor. But here's the thing. If you put a competitor in a slot where he's trying to do what he's doing for $17 million a year, and he gets injured, and you lose him all of this year, and theoretically, let's say through this season, you lose him to TJ surgery. You lose him for the rest of this season. And probably all of next year, anyways. So your 17 million this year and 17 next year could potentially turn into 34 million dollars, but really only nine million dollars of work. Whereas in the bullpen, you're gonna get the 17 million spent. You're gonna have someone who can do whatever, uh, two innings, three innings of work, an inning of work. He's not gonna come in for a third of an inning, a two third, you know, to get two guys out, three guys out. He's gonna come in for four, five, six guys, and that's what he's gonna um, do. He's gonna I, have I one of the. You, he's gonna have I, a dumb ERA, a dumb ERA. I agree with you, and I, I'm sure I want to hear Terry's take on this as well because I saw his stuff on Twitter, but I haven't yet talked to him about it. Yeah, I think that is probably the best use for him. And in October, guaranteed, if we make it to the playoffs, that's where he goes. He's the guy that slots into the bullpen, and we go with a four-man rotation. I think that's without you know doesn't need saying, but I don't think Cora will do it. I just don't, and that is. No matter what performance we see for April and May, I don't think it's going to happen. Unless he needs time to ramp up, in which case, maybe, but I doubt it. doesn't look like he needs time to ramp up. He's throwing 100 miles an hour in spring training. So I just I just don't see it. You know, I had other takeaways from today's game that weren't Evaldi-related, so we'll get to it in a minute. But my one thing that I really did like about Evaldi today, he came out and said he didn't care about the results. I kind of like that from a guy who's clearly given it his all. So I'm not worried about him. The problem I have with Evaldi, besides the durability concerns that you guys mentioned, you know, of him eventually running into a an injury or whatever, if you look at his chart today on the StatCast, he pounds the zone. That's all he does. Command is very hardly ever a problem with Evaldi. He just, he attacks the zone all the time. And... That worked fine one and a half times through the order today. But as they started coming up for the the third time, everything fell apart because they know he's going to be in the zone and they're just going to be sitting on stuff because they know, they know it's probably going to be within the strike zone. So I, that that's the problem. And, and then from that moment on, from the Buxton home run on, he just – he got, he got shelled. He got tagged for seven hits. I know JD in left field probably could have bailed him out of one of those, but um, but that's my problem with Havaldi. He's he's only going to be good one or two times through the order max, and then he's going to be walking the tightrope. The only way I see him getting through the order the third time is if maybe his curveball gets more whiffs. If he can make his curveball more of a weapon, then I could see I could see him possibly getting outs on that. He doesn't have a slider like Hauk or Chris Sale does, so so he's not gonna get whiffs on, on that type of a pitch. But um Well he's working on it he's working on a cutter. 
You know, and he said he's working on a cutter, he's working on a splitter. We'll see what happens in spring training, but I mean, that's what he's working on supposedly. He's got to come up with something else. Just, just simply trying to gas them isn't going to work. I mean, a hundred miles an hour sounds good, but if it's if it's going to be over the plate, he's still going to get mashed. Guys can hit that. So, and then especially when you're talking about going over a hundred miles an hour ten times, that screams bullpen to me. That screams bullpen, and it, it screams bullpen to me too. But do you think they'll do it with seventeen million dollars a year? Well, here's the thing, and this when I listened back to the last episode, I regretted not not mentioning this. He is getting seventeen million a year, but he's not a seventeen million dollar a year guy. He's not. No, he's definitely overpaid. No, he's overpaid yeah. by a lot. He's but a seven you, or eight. You still have to commit that money to him. Yeah, I don't think you know, the money's there. I mean, he's a seven or eight million dollar guy, really. You know, on a non-Dave Dombrowski signing with any other team, but I don't think the fact that he was erroneously given seventeen million dictates that that's how he has to be used. I just, I feel like, I feel. I think it does in Cora's mind. You know, that's that's my thing. Cora's a player's first manager, and if Hein Bloom goes down there and tells him, "I want him in the bullpen," I mean. He might pull an Art Howe. Cora might just say, lineup card's mine. Of all these starting, that's it. And we might I, even see some strength there. I just don't see him out, him alphaing that position. I just don't see it. I absolutely see Alex Cora saying, uh, Mr. Bloom, go back to your box. Exactly. <laughs> I, I don't exactly think Alex Cora is going to listen to someone who literally hasn't shown that he completely has a grasp of of the position of the role. And like we give him, you know, the GM status, technically his position is different than GM. And we've been, you know, people have said, Oh, you guys don't know what you're talking about. We, we know who's pulling strings here and we know who's having their strings pulled. And Alex core is not going to be told what to do. You know, you're a couple of years out of winning the world series. I don't think Haim Bloom has, has any leverage over, over Cora in what happens with whom, because you're right. He's getting paid $17 million. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to use him as a starter automatically. And I think part of that was the fact that, you know, you, he could have been $25 million a year. What's the best thing for the player? And what's the best thing for the team? That's what Alex Cora is going to do. If it means you come out every third day for an inning and two-thirds, guess who's coming out for an inning and two-thirds every third day? And Bloom, you know what? what? He may not want to stay because he doesn't like the fact that he doesn't have all the power. It's like, tr- imagine being the GM of the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick is your coach. And you're Belichick like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that. Right, right. But just imagine for a second that he wasn't the GM and he was just the coach and you were trying to tell him what to do. Now, I, I, I don't want to compare, you know, that maybe that's a silly comparison to compare Bill Belichick, who's the most decorated head coach in football history, with Alex Cora, someone who's won one World Series title as a head coach. Um as the head manager rather, but I, I just, I don't see it. I, I don't see you telling Bill Belichick what to do. I don't see you telling Alex Cora what to do. It's as simple as that. And I honestly, the more and more I think about it, I thought Terry was insane. I think that was, it was stupid. And then I was like, you know what, what did he do in 2018 during the world series? Came in one of the most clutch games of all time, even though he didn't get the win, still had one of the most clutch performances in the world series ever was one of the most underrated pitchers 
in that entire series. Yeah, he, I have something I want to bounce off. I have something I want to bounce off to both of you then. Now, what do you guys think about Evaldi if Ploiecki is catching? Does that does that improve your your thought process on? How did they Evaldi? do last year? How did they do? Well, so so here's my thing. They did no better than if Vasquez is catching. The splits are pretty even. But the way that I look at Christian Vasquez and the way that I look at Kevin Ploiecki are very different. Kevin Ploiecki to me is a better game manager than he's given credit for. Vasquez is not as good a defensive catcher as people think. Just because he has a cannon for an arm, he hasn't necessarily brought the ERAs down at pitchers. It's something we talk about a lot on the show. He's Yeah, he's, he's going to do even worse this year. Exactly. So here's my thinking. Ploiecki gets him through the third time in the order. Easier or better than Vasquez. Because Vasquez might have a tendency, and I didn't look at the numbers or anything. This is just my instinct. Vasquez might have a tendency to lean on that fastball a little bit more if he's not as confident calling the game. I don't think Christian Don't Vasquez is pitch. a good shot caller anyways. Like, I don't think he's that so good at Ploiecki, it. Ploiecki might bring him through the third time in the order successfully. If right. If he can better mix the pitches. So I'd like to see that combination at some point, you know, not necessarily in spring training, but I, I would be okay if they started out the gate like that because Ploiecki's probably going to catch two days a week. My concern with that is that if that goes to, you know, the front office's head and they're like, wow, look at that. Nate Evaldi, 16 innings from the pen, four hits, one run on a home run with three walks and 21 strikeouts. Let's give him a start. And then in the fourth thing, he falls apart. And then you shatter his confidence. I, I, the way I look at I, it is Ploiecki can't possibly do worse. Well, I mean, he no, could, but the odds are unlikely. I mean, I'm, just, I'm just thinking Evaldi's going to be in the starting rotation. Like, no matter what you or I or Terry says about it, start the season, Evaldi's slotted as the starter for the Red Sox. Yeah, yeah. So, to me... He has to. Knowing what happens, you know, knowing what happened last season where he was pretty good for four inning, four and a half innings every single game. And then in the fifth inning or the sixth inning, the wheels came off every time. Yeah. I would slot him with a different catcher. I th- That's why I would try it. Think, uh, excuse me, I think Alex Cora will hopefully you know, be intuitive. They, they all, the biggest lie every manager says in spring training every year, and it happens all across the league is there's going to be no personal catchers this year. And then when the team starts struggling and the wild card races get tight, guess what? They're going to be paired up with the catcher that they pitch the best to. So if, if Ploiecki stands out and I think he caught Evaldi today, actually, in fact, I'm positive he did. If he stands out as being the better catcher for him or even the better catcher for, for Richards or Pavetta, that's what I want. I think Christian Vasquez hurts this pitching staff because he's not a great game caller. He's a great defender. You know, balls aren't going over his shoulder or through his legs, and I love that about him, and he keeps the runners in check. He's he's elite when it comes to all of that, but he's not a good game caller. He's not Sandy Leone. He's not Jason Veritek. So I was so disappointed we didn't make a move to trade Vasquez last year. I know he's a top four or five offensive player, at least the last few years. So that's his saving grace, I guess, as far as how this organization views him. But uh, man, I just I can't. I wait. mean, you and I agree on that, Perry. I would I would love to see him traded. Um, I can't for assets, wait. I think for Connor Wong, that's what I can't wait for. I and we don't know how he's going to be either, but he th- there's a little bit of hype there. 
Hang on. Before we do move on, I want to touch on something you guys did talk about with with Bloom and, and Cora real quick. And I mentioned this very briefly on the last episode that Jason, Andrew, and I did. So I think that was within the last three or four episodes. Bloom made the mistake of his life by bringing back Cora. Now, I don't know if Cora is going to have as much authority as you guys say. I hope he does. I think the manager should have the authority. I hate front offices that let the analytics guys make too many of the decisions. That's never a format I want for the Red Sox. But regardless of whether Cora has authority or not, or the majority, the bulk of the authority, here's what could get interesting. If the team underperforms this year and say they finish sub-500, whether that's 75 wins, 78 wins, 80 wins. And then, I know exactly where you're going with this. And then say next July, we're five games under 500 in the month of July. Who's the fan base going to be pissed at? Are they going to be oh, pissed? Oh, Bloom. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so that's why there's a lot of pressure on Hein Bloom here to, to, to get this right. The the fans aren't going to be calling for Alex Cora's heads. They're going to be calling for Bloom's head. And most general managers or whatever, chief baseball officers, most of them get to fire one manager over the course of their tenure. And by, the, can't. by the time the second firing comes, it's usually the general manager that gets that gets fired. So he really... He made a, in terms of his own interest, he made a bad decision as far as bringing back somebody who's going to be more popular than him if the team tanks. I'm interested to hear what Charlie thinks, but I think two things. I think one, Heim Bloom has everything to lose, and two, I don't think that was Heim Bloom's decision. I think that was John Henry, Tom Warner, Larry Lucchino saying, hey, people are pretty pissed that we traded Bookie Betts. We need to win some goodwill here. And it was, they went out and re-signed Alex Cora. It was a complete screen. Like, we're going to bring back Alex Cora, but we're going to give the illusion that we're going to actually have other managers think that they have a chance to come to Boston. Why? Because the Red Sox won a World Series with Alex Cora. The players around Alex Cora did well, incredibly well, uh, to the point where when he left, it was like, well, crap, we got another guy in there. And I still feel bad. I still feel bad that he was only there for one year and he ended up getting to Cannes, um, even though he was an interim guy. I still feel like, you know what, what's the worst that happens? Keep him in some capacity, maybe not as your head coach, but do something. I I, I don't think that people are going to be, you know, if Alex Cora doesn't do well this year, it will still be Bloom's fault. And if Alex Cora and the Red Sox end up doing great, guess who's going to get the credit? Not Bloom. So Bloom loses either way in this scenario. If I don't suck, necessarily agree with that. I'm I'm just saying what what's going to Bloom has been catching a crap load of flack for me from literally anyone that's a Red Sox fan. If things if something doesn't go right, we didn't sign this guy, we didn't sign X Y and Z. Well, why? Well, we are too busy thinking about who we should sign, you know, cuz we really wanted Garrett Richards, you know? So that's where that's going to come back to bite him in the ass. Excuse my French. But that being said, if the Red Sox underperform again, it's Bloom getting the blame. If the Red Sox do great, I think it'll still be Alex Cora who gets the credit because they didn't do well last year. Bloom was still here. 
they're going to say, oh, well, it had to be Alex Cora. If you want to give Bloom credit, okay. But it's it's still going to be the manager who inspires the team. Well, I think if Hernandez is that lovable guy that he's hyped to be, and, and I, I think he will be, and and plays great towards the top of the order because that's where he looks like he'll be slotted. And then if a guy like Richards uh, or Pavetta pitch very well this year, I mean, I think the credit does kind of have to go to Bloom for that. Um, if the team tanks, then then it gets tough. It get, it absolutely gets tougher. And Bloom isn't going to get fired at the end of this season, no matter what. I don't think he gets fired at the end of next season, no matter what. But at the end of next season, his seat is insanely hot. And something good better happen in 2023. And he's not going to... He's in a position right now to where he's not going to be loved like Theo Epstein was and still is. People probably have already forgotten about Ben Sherrington, but I thought he did a good job with that 2013 team. And the Dave Dombrowski experience, I mean, that was a mixed bag, but he's, regardless, Dombrowski, 20 years from now, will be remembered as a great GM. And I I just don't know. Bloom, Bloom's in a, in, a, in a tough spot, and this team has to win. And I'm rooting for the team to win. I hope... I hope a season from now, none of this matters. I really do. Mm-hmm. Well, so I agree with you, Terry, but I look at it, I you know, I agree with you in two ways. One, I also hope the team wins. Um, two, I think if Pavetta succeeds, Richard succeeds, Cordero succeeds, and Renfro succeeds, even if the team doesn't do well, that's a win for Hein Bloom. That's a win for those analytics guys in the front office and the the guys that I really don't like. All of those guys. Charlie, I don't know if you're trying to say something or if you're on mute here, but... Um, four. 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 You think four signings are all going to work out. <laughs> no, I don't. I think that's the only way that the credit goes to Bloom and not Alex Cora. This is this of all is four wide. of those guys perform, outperform. And I think, Rich, I, I'm on record already three times, three different shows since, since the beginning of 2021, saying I think Garrett Richards is garbage. He's not worth the, the uniform okay. that they printed for him. But if, he, if, he, if I turn out to be, like... If that turns out to be the coldest take of the season, is, is Alex Cora really going to get the credit? I feel like we got we have to give the credit. Hold on, well, hold I don't on. Want wait, to, wait, wait, wait a minute. Happen. Wait, 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 wait. This is getting good. This is getting good. Okay, Garrett Richards, Hunter Renfro, and what were the other two names that you mentioned? Cordero is not even ready yet. Who's not even ready yet? Hurt. Okay, and who was the fourth one? Honestly, on the top of my head, I can't even remember. Pavetta, so maybe. Go with um, Was it Pavetta. P- yeah. Pavetta. Okay. Pavetta, Richards, Cordero, Renfro. Renfro. Thank you. Oh, Renfro. I, it just Specifically like, I those four, because okay. those four no. came in under high bloom and let's, not nothing to do with Cora. Okay. These are four. Let's tier them. A, B, C, D. Right? Cordero. Who knows? We don't know. But right now, tentatively. C minus. C minus. I'd say C minus. Okay, cool. Uh, Richards. D. D. We don't even like Richards, okay? <laughs> uh, Renfro. C. B minus. I was going to say C plus. Yeah. All right, well, be in the pa- middle. C plus it is. Pavetta. C. You know what? I'm going to... Maybe a C plus. I'm going to go C plus. I'm going to give him a B. 
because uh, it's just sneaky good. We only gave up workmen, uh, so I'm gonna. Fair enough. T- Fair enough. Ter- Ter- Terry has something else in that water bottle. His. All right. Now, <laughs> those are the four guys. We just gave them grades of C, C, a D for Richards. We have a couple C, C plus, and a B. So in that range. And you're talking about all four guys hitting. It's all four now, way back into that. Hold on. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hear me out. Hear me out. In 2009, in 2009, the New York Yankees signed CC Sabathia. And where was CC Sabathia in 2009? In 2008, before 2009. What was his rating? Milwaukee. No, no. What was his rating? A minus. A. Slash A plus. He put in one of the most epic second half season runs ever. Mm-hmm. And in New York, he hit. He was he was money. Mark he Teixeira. Them, he won them a title. He won them a title. Mark Teixeira in 2008. Where was he? A. A slash A minus. He helped win them a title. Where was A.J. Burnett? Toronto. But what was his rating? Oh, he's an A. He's an A. I a was going to say BB plus. Because I right, thought he was I, a little hyped. Fair enough. Two guys hit. And they were both A's. The other guy did not. I don't think A.J. Burnett hit in New York. No, he, he didn't. And he was a B. We're talking about three C's, two and a half C's, a half B, and a D. And you're talking about the possibility of all four hitting. You didn't mention. Whatever uh, you're smoking. Whatever you're smoking. I don't smoke. But I'm happy to partake in whatever it is that you're doing to make you feel this jolly. There is no way that two of those guys. I will give you one and a half of those guys. I don't hit. think. I don't even. I don't think one and a half of them are going to hit. I'm not. I'm just saying. So you think it's going to be less or more? I'm, I think it's going to be less than one and a half. I think maybe one. Maybe Pavetta. He's the only one I think might hit. But Heim Bloom thinks that they are going to hit. You're forgetting. Bloom turns out to be right there. You're forgetting you Hernandez. Hernandez. Honestly, we are. Right, Hernandez Terry, is underrated. Hernandez is underrated. I'd give him a B to a to a B plus for that. But I also don't necessarily think that Heim Bloom deserves the credit for picking out an everyday player that everyone like that everyone loves and everyone him, wants. Everyone wants him and paying him the market value. It's not a steal. It's not a guy that he went out and got that everyone was like, oh, that's that's a great signing. Or not a guy that he went out and got and everyone's like, that's a terrible signing. It's just kind of middle of the road. I expect Kike Hernandez to hit. Um, you, you, he could play every day second base. You can put I, this. I think it's a good signing. You can put this on Twitter because if I put this on Twitter, I don't think it's going to get as many views. You could say that the Boston Red Sox was almost known as the land of broken toys. You got Garrett Richards, who's you know half a oh, person. Misfit we, toys, yeah. Misfit, misfit toys, toys, broken toys. Oh, I say broken because you know <laughs> they keep breaking down. You know we can't see them healthy for 162 <laughs> that's, that's games. That's true enough. You know, so I just keep thinking about that. Heimblum needs these guys to hit. And not hit as in hit the baseball, hit as in be successful. I I was saying, you know, is it far fetched to see like uh, Renfro as like a Mike Napoli type guy? Because if he does anything remotely close to Nap, I mean, geez, Louise, that's going to be insane. Because he's got, uh, I think he's a little faster than Mike Napoli. Um, and defensively, I think it was Andrew that said he's actually decent. He's actually pretty good. So he's let's hope good that that's the case. Let's hope that that helps. I really do want to believe that Franchi Cordero can make a difference. Unfortunately, COVID setback, and that was all over ESPN. So I'm curious to see what happens with that. I really like his swing. When I saw his swing, it kind of reminded me of Ken Griffey Jr. Not to be disrespectful. Whoa. <laughs> that is one of the nicest. I think Ken Griffey Jr. had the most fluid swing ever. He, and in he did. 20 years, 
Mike Trout still can't hold a, it can't hold a candle to him. Mookie Betts the same thing. I don't think any other spectacular hitter can do the same. But Cordero can. I think that Cordero's swing is really pretty. I didn't say that he could hold a candle to Ken Griffey Jr. I'm saying the <laughs> okay, swing is right. nice. I have I'm the least sure. that translates. I have the least amount of faith in Cordero out of that whole group with Renfro not too far behind him, and then and I, then it goes up from there. But yeah, so we're... I mean, we we actually we talked about it right as far as what periods we like, what we don't like. I was just simply saying that even if the only way that Time Bloom gets the credit from for this season, if it goes well, is if all four of those guys hit. And he might even need all four of those guys to hit and some of our other guys not to hit. He might need an off season, you know, a bad season from Xander or Devers or one of these guys who was here before him and good numbers from his guys in order to make it his team. I, I just think Cora's going to get the credit no matter what happens. We'll it's see. a lose-lose situation for Hein Bloom. We'll see. I mean, we know, like, we, we can all agree that Hernandez is probably good. Um, if Pavetta comes through and has the best season of his career, which even a 4.00 ERA would be the best season of his career, then that's good. And uh, I think I think there's there is a little bit of room for for some of these guys to come through, but no question. I'm not, I'm not saying that they won't. I'm just saying that Hein Bloom yeah. needs them to, if he wants the credit for this team. No question. Alex Cora is the most popular non-player in the organization from the fans, but that was fun. That was, that was a bit of freestyling there because we're, we're going to talk the rotation. So we'll, uh, we'll pick the ball back up. Martin Perez pitched on Saturday. Very good outing Four innings pitched. Two hits, no earned runs, walked only one, struck out five. Love to see it. That's my that's my favorite pitcher on the staff. I've been saying it all offseason. I said it when they didn't when they declined his option. I was upset about it. He's the only guy on the staff that's going to go out there and make every single start that he slid it into pitch and give you five five innings every time. He's he the only one. At, he faced Atlanta. Don't we like annually have Atlanta's number? Like every single time Atlanta faces Boston on the schedule, they're like, son of a, because it's us. Uh, unlike, you know, Tampa Bay, who whenever we face them, we're like, <laughs> we crap our pants. It's yeah. just, I don't get it. It just keeps happening. Or if we somehow manage to face Rowdy Telez of the, of the Toronto Blue Jays, who seems to always have the Red Sox number, no matter who's in the rotation. Like not a great ball player, at least in my opinion. And every single time he faces Boston, he's like, oh, Beast in feast time, kids. Let's go. That's kind of how I see him. But it's Atlanta. And last That's year, a good if, team. If, if it's it's a team that has seen uh, your star players have seen little to no action. Uh, Ronald Acuna has not really done that much in spring training this year. And I'm probably going to get bit by someone's listening, thinking well, Ronald Acuna is one of the best players in Major League Baseball. Yes, he is. There's no question about it. But look at his stats from last year. Let's 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 go back to game logs of last year where he had moments of brilliance and then he had moments of uh, I kind of forgot what was happening. So I'm going to go to the regular season and just look at some of those games that literally made me shake my head. Um, well, look, look, Charlie, that that's a cold take that Atlanta's that Atlanta's struggling to beat us. They're two and they're two and two against us in the spring in spring training. So don't don't sleep. Don't sleep on them. Boston against Baltimore last year. Where was Baltimore? 
Oh, fading Baltimore is the best, most profitable strategy in gambling today. Baltimore was the 31st best team in Major League Baseball. That's my crapping on Baltimore, okay? Martin Perez allowed six runs on nine hits in four innings. I We do have uh, Atlanta's number in the regular season, I feel like. We had a pretty good series against them last year, and I, I think we have um, in a couple of seasons prior. But great team. Sucks they blew a three to one lead against the Dodgers. <laughs> you you know they could have they would have won the World Series if they went there, but but they didn't. But but yeah, I uh, I was glad to see what we saw out of Perez. And uh, another thing we didn't talk about, like something got leaked out that he was going to take number thirty three, and then like Twitter like went on a rampage, like how dare he take Jason's Veritex number. And then there were people trying to defend it, you know, because there's always going to be that demographic of Red Sox fans that will defend literally anything. And then Perez comes out a few hours later and says, no, no, I'm still keeping 54. <laughs> and uh, so kind of kind of saved uh, himself there for a moment. But Well, so Terry, from what I understand, that was um, an intern copied over the numbers from when he was in Minnesota. Right. Where he was 33. Yes. And, and so it was an, intern, an intern's mistake, which could mean anything. But that's what I understand from that. Um, what are your thoughts generally on, on Perez, just as a, as a pitcher, uh, Charlie specifically? I think he's an average pitcher that is going to come out and give you five innings. He gets into the sixth inning. And that, that doesn't uh, excite that doesn't excite you compared to what we looked at last season. Uh no, I'm just uh, I just <laughs> giggling here a little bit to myself. Um, I, I think <laughs> I can't. I, I can't. Sorry, I, can't. I, just, I I spilled something here. I um, I think he's going to get you into the sixth inning. I think he can possibly get you into the seventh because, as evidence from last year, he did it one time. He could do it. He will get you into the sixth inning. He will not give you six innings. To be a quality starter, you need six innings starter. Martin Perez has shown us last year that he could do it three times. He pitched seven innings once, never went deeper. And that was against, funny enough, Baltimore. The following appearance that he faced Baltimore, he got shellacked. He got rocked three times this year. Um... And two of them were against Baltimore. So this is the thing. Uh, Martin Perez has the ability to do really well against crappy teams and poorly against bad teams. If you're supposed to be above average or considered to be above average, you need to dominate crappy teams. You need to dominate against poor well, let's, competition. Let's, let's be clear. The Red Sox weren't dominating anybody last season. That's that's why Perez is the You weren't asking about the, the whole team. Okay. You weren't asking about the whole team. You were asking about him. And if you give up Fair five enough. or six runs a game... You're not giving your team a chance to succeed. So you can say whatever you want to defend someone like that. But if you allow five or six runs, you're not doing your job. Your, your ERA is over is over nine because you're no, not pitching so nine innings. His ERA last season was a four or five. Flat. Right. Not great. But if you give up six runs in less than nine innings, your ERA is over six. He yes. Gave, yes, it is. He gave up like eight runs or more like – it was like twice and his ERA is blown up because 
because he uh, he got shelled twice. So I I got a little bit more confidence in him. Ideally, he would be, you know, a number four on most rotations. But if you go back to the start of 2019, he was lights out that first half of the year with the Twins. Then he fell apart. And then he comes to the Red Sox. Like I said, with the exception of a couple of starts last year, pitched very well. So I'm kind of, I'm more in the optimistic side of it with Perez. I think he will be a stabilizer out of that rotation. And yeah. So, you know, I'm the president of the Martin Perez fan club. But uh, I, I just don't understand the dislike, Charlie, for Martin Perez compared to the rest of the rotation. The rest of the rotation's not, you know, they're all question marks. And the one thing I love about Perez is he's not a question mark. You know what you're going to get. And sometimes that's refreshing. I mean, it's not Pedro. It's not you go out every fifth day and it's it's all sunshine and rainbows. But it is something. You know, it's great. So it's good to know sometimes what you – you know, what you have in a pitcher, even if that's not fantastic. That's why I love Martin Perez. I'm going to defend him until he can't pitch anymore. We'll see. This is year two. It's going to be a different team, different, uh, you know, for the, you have a different lineup, maybe a team that can potentially crack more runs. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm willing to give this guy a, a, a second chance because why not? He was he was willing to come back again, um, despite having the season that he did. Yes, his ERA was Joe. You said it was it was four point three nine, four five flat, four five, not great. But also, so de- you know, not, not the great. worst because Porcello's ERA was what close to six, right? Oh, you know, him him and the section ten guys were having too much fun. <laughs> I, you know, so here's the thing: give him a chance, see what happens. The the worst that happens is he he does the same thing again. You know, so let's just see what happens with him. We do. Well, I'm going to give him a tiny bit of credit, but before we, okay, yeah. Terry, before we move on, yep, on to the next phase of, of the debate, can I, can I just give a shout out to, to Whitlock today? Oh, yeah, I mean, Whitlock ahead. was lights out today. Great. I, I, he, he pitched three innings of, of shutout ball, two hits. Uh, he did the same thing four days ago in his first spring training outing he's now got six innings he's given about four hits he's got one earned run i believe he looks really good for a rule five guy i know he was a throw-in in the Ottavino trade but wouldn't it be something if we can just take a yankee player who they threw away and turn him into something great like the reverse of johnny damon i feel like we're always giving players to the yankees can we just like get a little back it'd be so much fun well i'll tell you what if that happens and and it looks like it could happen and and Ottavino, you know, a little shaky as well, but if those two end up being studs in our bullpen, Brian Cashman's pants are going straight to the ground. And yeah. Oh, 100%. I just I, I thought that that was a kind of my highlight from today's game was Whitlock because my expectations for him were nothing. And it was just, it's just so good to see someone exceed expectations early versus fail to meet them. And I know we have high expectations for the Red Sox every season, and the bar is high in Boston. We don't, you know, we're not Detroit, 
We're not Cleveland. We're not okay with second place. Um, but it was good to see someone exceed those expectations early. Absolutely. So getting into um, Friday's start, Garrett Richards, I wasn't expecting a lot, but he went four innings, gave up one hit, still walked three guys. That's at least slightly concerning still, but struck out seven. And uh, no pitcher this season that I'm aware of has struck out uh, seven. I know Rodriguez struck out six in his most recent outing. So hopefully this is a turning of the tide for him. I'm not super optimistic. He could get hurt. He could get inconsistent again. But we needed to see something from him, and he showed us a little bit of something. I second that sentiment. He literally went out and matched what he did in the first two performances combined. Instead of two innings, he gave us four. He had given up six runs on six hits before that. And his ERA was ungodly. It was disgusting. It was 13-5. He's since cut that ERA in half because he obviously had pitched four innings, didn't allow a run, struck out seven guys, and he was electric. I will be the first one to say that was a pleasant surprise after two kind of shoddy performances. But there are people that have said, give him a chance, give him a chance, give him a chance. I did not. I was not feeling it, was not vibing it. But I will say this is a fantastic step in the right direction. Uh, I'm incredibly happy that it was against Tampa Bay. We faced them a crap load this season and every season since their division rival. Um, if I could see another one of those and not another one of the first two appearances next time out, I won't have, uh, this, the feeling of, of actually, I, I won't feel like I'm going to be saying that, that was an anomaly. That was just one, one performance. And we got months of baseball, plenty of starts. So there's going to be plenty of opportunities to be like, all right, great. This is going great. Or plenty of opportunities to, um, Say, all right, I was wrong. And I was wrong. I will be the first one. I will admit every single time that I'm wrong about a call that I've made. And I was absolutely 100% wrong on the third performance for Richards. I wasn't even talking about the third performance for Richards beforehand because I already signed off on him being garbage. I said it on three different podcasts so far. And uh, he must have heard me. He must be listening to us, Terry, because <laughs> he went out and shut, and shut down uh, Tampa, I believe it was. And he pitched fantastic. Dynamic fastball, good curve. Um, it's tough to find something to dislike about an outing like that. And then I remember what happened previously where he walked five hitters in three innings. And I feel better about my take before that start. I hate pitchers who walk batters. That's my core value that I will stick to. If you walk batters, I'm not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. If you don't walk hitters and you're getting shelled, okay. Benefit of the doubt. Maybe you're, you're tipping pitches. Maybe you're just not there yet. Who knows, especially in spring training. But if you're walking batters in the spring training, you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt from me. And he needs to give me another start like the one he gave me the other day for me to kind of stop hating on him on a regular basis. I'm still a pessimist overall. You know, he's pitched 76 innings in five years. And it's probably going to take until – most of the way through May, maybe even June, 
of him being fairly solid before I'm like, okay, you know what? That was a good signing, and and it was worth the risk. But I, I'm just – it's going to take me to about that point to – to really, you know, start to get comfortable. There were other signings out there. We won't get through them all because it's it's, you know, beating a dead horse at this point, but like I said, he he turned the tide a little bit and showed us what the front office was was hoping he would and we'll take it from there. Alex Cora did say that Richards will make three more starts before opening day. So still probably 12 to 15 innings more uh, work ahead of him before the start of the season regardless. I want to I want to mention some stuff here about a few guys. We've talked about who's going to make the team, who isn't going to make the team. Christian Arroyo is looking really good right now. He's hitting 348. That's his average. 400 on base, 609 slugging. His OPS is just over 1,000, and he's hit two home runs. I'm pretty encouraged, and I've been more of a Christian Arroyo guy than anybody on this crew, and I like what I'm seeing. I absolutely like what you know, I'm seeing. I, I liked him. I liked him last season, uh, so even in the Rule Five. I think he's shown us kind of good stints. I don't know necessarily that he has a spot in this roster, no matter how well he plays right now. But I do know he's out of options, right? So he's going to likely stay with the team. Um, I just don't know if he's going to get playing time, which kind of makes me nervous. Right now he's getting good quality quality playing time, and he's living up to it, which is encouraging. But when the season starts and he's only hitting, you know, maybe playing one out of every seven, eight days, is he going to be able to do that? Because until then, I don't know that we're, no one's going to pinch hit Arroyo into games over, say, a Christian Vasquez or even a Bobby Dalbeck because this team loves the home run, strikeout, home run, strikeout thing that Bobby Dalbeck's got going on. No one's pinch hitting him into games, even if he's slugging through the roof. And I don't think there's room for him right now. I just don't, I, especially with Xander Bogart saying he's ready. What do you think, Charlie? Yeah, so like that's the thing. They're talking about Xander Bogart's being ready by spring training. He's, he's feeling really good. I, I'm, I'm kind of inclined to agree. But this is kind of this is straight out of uh, out of Jason's playbook. Where I mean, what's to say that this isn't just you know JBJ's you know the the spring training darling, where he just lit up spring training and then was a ghost for the season? Do you give him the chance to perform in Boston? And if he doesn't perform, cut him. Like what? It, it's it's tough because you have players that you could send down who have options. Or you have players that can do uh, damage now and strike out a lot now, too. What do you think fans want to see more of? Uh, someone who's doing well during spring training who may do well? Or someone who's got the opportunity to put one in the, you know, put one over the fence every three games? I'm, I'm curious what Terry thinks because what I think is that fans want to see this team win. They don't care how it happens. And they're fans like me, and I, I know Terry agrees with me like this, I like to see balls in play. I'm tired of seeing the strikeouts. I don't want hitters who strike out and then hit a home run and then strike out and hit a home run. That's not interesting to me. It doesn't entertain me. I know there's people on the crew that disagree with me, um, but I would just like to see the best player, the best nine guys 
on the field at the same time for the Red Sox to try to win us some games and get us to October. I mean, the division is not that strong, guys. I mean, Toronto's pretty good. New York is – I still think New York is heavily overrated by everybody in the media, everybody in the fan base, because they're going to get hurt, and they can't stay healthy. They already lost Zach Britton until July. It's it's a wide-open division, and if we perform up to the ability that we think we can, even if you know we projected at like 87 games as the high point for us, among, among us on the show, we can still do some damage. Uh, I want to see these guys play. What are your thoughts, Terry? Well, Arroyo will make the team regardless because he's out of options. Um, so at least for the start, he'll he'll make the team. Um, I think he'll. I think his performance will justify them finding some way for him to be in the lineup. Whether, like I said, that forces a guy like Hernandez to go into the outfield, and right now we don't have Cordero, so that could be what happens to start. But I think. Bloom likes him. He's traded for him twice, and uh, you know I think he's here for a reason. And and he had a home run today. He's hit two so far. Um, but it's it's just worth watching right now. Another guy who has been on fire all of spring training right now won't make the team because he does have options. But that's Jonathan Arauz hitting four oh nine right now with a four fifty eight OBP, uh, seven seventy three slugging over 1200 with his OPS and he, he's just absolutely on fire. <laughs> uh, I mean, he might be my favorite player that never sees the field. I am a big ROs guy. I think he deserved more time last year when the team was struggling. They still didn't put him in games enough. I think this year you're probably going to struggle to find room for him. Uh, at any point, because I think he's not even the first call-up from AAA. I think the first call-up from AAA is going to be Michael Chavis, who's not going to make the roster. Um, so he'd be the second guy up in the infield. If you lose two infielders, you're in trouble with this team, because one of those infielders is going to end up then being either a Rafael Devers or a, a Xander Bogarts. Those are the two guys who would have to be hurt for him to move up. So I hope we don't see him in the big leagues, because that would mean we have disaster has struck. But the kid can flat out play. He's proven that he deserves a shot somewhere. So I would be surprised if they don't try to find him a, a way up, but I, I don't see it happening. It's it, um, go ahead. Troy. Well, go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. I, I, I mean, here's the thing. He's had his last two games that he's played. He's had four extra base hits. He's had three doubles and a homer. Like that's, that's going to be one of the things too. But again, you know, where does he go? And unlike Dahlbeck, it's it's interesting. You have someone who's putting the ball into play, and he's only struck out two times. Twice in 22 at-bats. So a much Give lower a percentage. But where? Like, where I, do I you know, stick our ooze? That's the problem. That's what I'm saying. I just don't see room for him. But that's the kind of ball that I want the Red Sox to play. Okay, and how many options does Arus have? I think two more. We'll see you in Worcester, <laughs> and that's how that's going to work out. Because why? Why would you bring someone up? I mean, I, I think there's a chance that Dahlbeck also gets sent down. How many options does Dahlbeck have? Plenty. Three. Three. Three, I believe. Yeah. We'll see you in Worcester. That's just how it is. There's going to be too many, too many mouths to feed in in Boston. 
And if you have someone who has no options and someone that has options, the guy who has options is going back down because they can bring it back up and send it back down twice if they have to this year without even having to have, have, you know, you have to bat an eyelash on that. Um, you both have points. Aruz has been lights out, but Arroyo has no options left. So he is going to be on the team, but where? I think it's going to be a pinch hitting role or giving Xander a rest if he needs a break. Well, Alex Cora loves to give guys 10 days off a month. I'm exaggerating, but he gives a lot of days off more than what I like. Uh, Here's something interesting about Arus. If he, and he will get sent down to the farm. What if they give him some reps in the outfield? I know we say that about everybody, but, but he's, he is leading spring training right now. He's leading the team in doubles. He's got six. I think the next closest person has four. So he's, He's swinging a very good bat, and we're we're much thinner in the outfield. I don't think they're going to call up Duran at any point this season. Jimenez is at least a year behind him, so we are thin enough. If if Renfro isn't hitting, if Cordero just doesn't pan out because he's injured all the time, and then when he does come up, he just doesn't perform. Maybe that's a way to get Arauz back up to the club. Now let me let me raise this question. It's an extremely low percentage chance of this happening. Could you make a case that both Bobby Dahlbeck and Michael Chavis don't make the team right away? You can make it with Chavis, but can you make it for both at the same time? I don't think you can make. I don't think you can make it with Dahlbeck because that is the way the league is going. Uh, the home run strikeout, home run strikeout. And this team eats it up. And the analytics guys, they love Dahlbeck. And he's the only guy currently who can play first base for the squad. So I, I don't see a way that he doesn't make team, especially right now. Marwin can. Dahlbeck um, in 20 at-bats has four home runs and 11 strikeouts. <laughs> it's the strikeouts. 75%, 75% of his at-bats have been a home run or a strikeout. Literally, less than 25% have been a home run, and more than half have been a strikeout. You give him 500 at-bats, he will set a record and finally make one player in Major League Baseball, yes, Chris Davis, I'm talking about you, a new Major League record for most strikeouts in a season. I can absolutely make a case for why Bobby Dahlbeck should not be playing for the Red Sox. Oh, well, hold this on now. Season. Should not or will not. Those are two different yeah, cases. Yeah, it's, it's I don't, will I don't not. Think you can make the case. It's will not. I don't think not. you can make the case that he will not. I think you can make the oh, case I think that you he absolutely, should not. I think you absolutely can. Because okay, he has. So then who plays first base? I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that scene from, from Moneyball when I do this. Because he gets on base? No, because. <laughs> May. No. Why can I make a case? No. Why can I make a case for him not playing? He strikes out a lot. He strikes out? He doesn't get on he base. Load of options. He has options. He has options, and he strikes out. Thank you. We got to work on that, gentlemen. This is where the audience needs to see the video. Yeah. (laughs) But in all seriousness, though, Marwin Gonzalez can play first base. He's done it before. Kike Hernandez can play first base. I don't know if Kike Hernandez is going to play second base every day. That's that's going to be your everyday second baseman. Bye, bye, Bobby. From what from what Cora has said in the last couple of days. It looks like Renfro has the inside track of being the number two guy in center. 
So that might not even be Kike Hernandez in center. He might be playing right field. He might be playing left field. I Who think, the hell knows? I think he would play left, Kike. Yeah. And I, I could see that too. And he's a he's a good defender all over the field. My case for getting ROs, um, some at bats and maybe a chance, you know, to play in the big leagues. Sure. Why not try him out in the outfield? Everybody on this team can play multiple positions. That's what they're looking for. I think his best chance probably is to learn to play third base. I don't know if he already can or can't play third base, but if he can play third base effectively, I would say that's probably a decent chance because if we lose Rafael Devers for any length of time, that's a big hole that needs to be filled at third base. Not that Devers is a great third baseman, but not a lot of guys on this team are really going to be everyday third base options. And if you're slugging at 409 and you can play third base, you know, if Devers gets hurt, that is a spot for you right there. Opens up instantly. Third base is, uh, to me, the easiest position in the infield. It's not all that technical. You're knocking down line drives and then shipping the ball to second or first. You know, there's sure, no- but I just, I just don't see the, the only guy on the depth chart at third base right now. I guess would be Dahlbeck would be behind Devers, right? And Dahlbeck's not hitting. Charlie just made the case for him to get sent down. Yeah, well, so if you want playing time, that's probably a good spot. He slipped down to to 250 now and and that's probably what his career average would end up being if he could hit at the major, major league level, you know, without striking out or being an all or nothing guy. If he could put the ball in play, he's probably a, a 250 to 260 guy with power, but um but yeah, I'm just kicking it around. There's just it's almost an impossible puzzle to try to solve cuz when I bring up It really Ar- is. When I bring up Arroyo, there's at least two scenarios. When you bring up Hernandez, there's at least three scenarios. Same as Marwin. It's tough to tell. And like I said last episode I have a question episode, for you Terry on that as well. Go ahead. On that whole the whole situation, especially the Bobby Dalbeck piece. I mean, Charlie brought up Chris Davis. Ken we see a Chris Davis peak season, you know, from Dahlbeck. Is he is he capable of hitting 40 home runs and hitting 270? I don't know. But I know that he can do the opposite, and he can strike out 200, 250 times, 300 times. So I don't know that he maybe – he might not have a spot in the major leagues in two years. Who knows? But I think he has a spot this season. Does that make sense? I mean, he's absolutely going to see time this season, no matter what. Um, I, he's he's the eighth wonder of the world, as far as I'm concerned. I, I don't know what to expect out of him. You know, he might not make it. He Some people say he's got the potential to be the next Aaron Judge. I think that's shooting for the moon. But, you know, I, I mean, he's a big kid with big power, and – He's just got to learn how to put the ball in play, shoot the ball up the gaps, and and be a decent all-around hitter. And we have not seen that yet. We have not seen that yet. No. So then how would you make the case that he's not going to make opening day roster? You asked, you asked Charlie to make the case, and he tried. Would you make that same case, that he strikes out too much? If his numbers dip, we've got, what, three weeks left? Two and a half weeks left? Yep, about two and a half. If those strikeouts just go through the roof, maybe Chavis stays up. Maybe Chavis, maybe he just pulls off the upset and, and stays up. 
But if they both go down, it's because Arauz is killing it and they want to find a way to keep him in the lineup and they just see Worcester as a way to give Dahlbeck more reps, give him, give him time to settle down, get into a groove, take the pressure off of him. And I think that would be the reasoning for it. So if, if Terry Cushman is GM for a day, is that the decision that he's making? Are you, are you sending down Bobby Dahlbeck? Are you keeping Michael Chavis? Are you bringing up Arauz? Like, what? What is the? What is your choice there, <laughs> Charlie? What do you have? Bobby's getting sent down until Bobby can learn to not strike out all the time. Because if I am guessing when he comes to the plate, I am saying strike out every single time because I know I'm going to be right half the time. It's an uncomfortable. So you're sending down Bobby Dahlbeck. Who are you bringing up? It's not who you're bringing up. It's who you're keeping. Or who's, who are you keeping? Chav- are you keeping Chavis you're, or are you keeping Arauz? You're only going to keep one of the two. They're both doing pretty well in spring training. One you're keeping. You're keeping. You're keeping Arauz for two reasons. One, hot hand. Two, Michael Chavis has options. I don't know if Arauz has options. So you're slotting in Marwin Gonzalez or Arauz at first base. Who would I rather have at first base? I would rather have Marwin Gonzalez at first base. So then Aru, you're keeping Aru's up to play to, to pinch hit, and then the starting first baseman is going to be Marwin Gonzalez. If Aru's ends up slotting in to be a potential backup, because who's your number two? Who's who's batting in the uh, or who's playing second base? Right now, I would say Kike Hernandez. Okay, if Kike's game. playing in the outfield, who's playing second base? Marwin Gonzalez. Marwin Gonzalez <laughs> is at first base. You guys hate Arroyo. Um, That's the thing is Arroyo is there he's as well. Arroyo or Arauz, it's one of those two guys is going to spell uh, is going to spell Xander and or play second base. I think that both of them will get enough playing time. They're not going to be full time starters. They have to accept that. That's it. So Terry, would that, you do that same thing? Okay, bringing it back to should Dahlbeck make the team or shouldn't he? That That's a very uncomfortable question, but gun to my head, metaphorically, I would send him down. I would absolutely send Bobby Dahlbeck down because he hasn't shown us anything different. The same concerns we've had are popping up everywhere in spring training right now. So I would so, make the... So you're sending him down. I would make the unpopular decision to send him down. And who are you? Who are you keeping then? Who are your three bench players? Well, two bench players in Fluex. Who are your two guys? I, I Arroyo has to be one because you got to DFA him if he's got no sure, options. He's got no options. Yeah, so, so he's it's Arroyo, and who's the last guy? Arauz or is it Chavis? So I think mine would be Michael Chavis. Even with Arauz hitting so well, I think mine is Michael Chavis. I'd rather have Chavis than Arauz, but. Yeah, I think they're going to go with the hot hand, and that's Arauz right now. Arauz has been showing a, a little bit more, especially recently. Um, I think here's the thing: if Arauz starts to struggle, you know who's waiting in the wings, and it's not Bobby Dahlbeck. You know, yeah. But we know what Michael Chavis is capable of doing. Chavis strikes out a lot too. I don't want someone who strikes out a lot, like you mentioned. You want someone who puts the ball into play. Arauz, two strikeouts and twenty-two at bats. That is less than 10%. 
Find him a spot in the lineup. That's what I'm looking at. But I'm just, find him a spot in the lineup. I don't, I don't know if he can play first base or not. It would make my decision a lot easier if he could. Um, I guess I, I would still go with Arauz regardless. He's leading the team with doubles. He's he's swinging a good bat. He showed flashes of it last year. He looks like he could be a, a bona fide major leaguer. Chavis is shown some improvement the the he has struck out a few more times uh, in the last couple of days but um he does have the second highest number of home runs right now at 3 and you know what i don't know if even chavis is going to be a major leaguer 3 years from now but at this moment i mean i if i had to bet whether chavis was going to be in the league a few years from now or dalbeck I might go with Chavis. I really might. I just, I'm really uncomfortable with with these guys not getting on base. Uh, Terry, you and I see eye to eye on that, and I know Charlie does too. I'd love to see what you know what the other half of the podcast thinks about that at some point. But what I do think is interesting is, you know, Chavis has been on a tear before. In, in the big leagues. He went on that absolute tear at the beginning of his uh, 2018 season, right? Where everybody thought he was the answer in the middle of the lineup for the future. And then pitchers found out he can't hit the fastball. They started throwing the fastball up around the letters and then the curveball. And he, he couldn't identify the difference that he was getting destroyed. That's where the strikeouts are coming in. So Dalbeck hasn't shown us that he can sustain any hitting at the big league level. So I, I don't know. I would probably go with Chavis too. Absolutely. Uh, we're well over an hour now. I just want to bring up one more observation. Um, Michael Geddes hit a grand slam yesterday. His, uh, his stat line right now is a little wonky. He is only hitting 167, but he's got a 375 on base because he's walked six times uh, and has a, has an OBP over uh, 800. So I think he's a guy we need to, we need to look at. I don't think Hein Bloom is worried about starting the clock on him or not starting the clock. I think he could force his way onto the team if his performance justifies it. And he was hitting 30 home runs in I think triple a as recently as 2019. So has had, had a great year. Has a good record in the minors, and this could be. We talk about whether we give Bloom credit or whether we don't. This could be one of those sneaky good acquisitions that kind of comes out of nowhere. Kind of like Travis Shaw. He got called up. Nobody expected much out of him, and he forced his way onto the team and had a, a good couple of years after that. But uh, so that's another guy I think Red Sox fans should have on on their radar. He is an outfielder, so. Um, you know, that's where if Cordero doesn't work out or if Renfro gets relegated uh, to the bench, then that's how a guy like Geddes stays uh, with the club. Well, now, two two questions, Terry, because I'm not as up on him as I should be. I really need Andrew on the show for this part. H- how old is he, you know? I don't, actually, and that's a great question. I, uh... Because I don't necessarily want to start the clock on him if he's going to be the next guy to pair with Duran 
and Jimenez in the outfield. Does that make sense? Like, if he's going to be the next wave of, of great Red Sox outfield, the way that we had Ben Attendee and JBJ and Mookie Betts, not necessarily the Mookie Betts' caliber, but if, if him, Duran, and Jimenez are going to be the next big three, I don't necessarily want to start his clock early. But what I do love, and I'm going to borrow what Charlie did earlier, and what happens when I point at you, Charlie, is you, you just say, because he gets on base. That's why you keep him, right? Because he gets on base. So I'm okay with that. He, if you walk six times and you don't hit the ball, I'm okay with that. I don't care. Yeah. I'd rather that because you're not striking out. Right. I mean, at this point, that's better than Bobby Dahlbeck numbers, <laughs> you know, even yeah. though. No, you I mean, know. did you say 800 OBP? I mean, that's obviously going to come down a lot. People are not going to be as scared of him as, um, you know, maybe 800 OBP suggests. No, o- OPS. OPS. O- OPS. Okay. He, he's okay. got a 375 on base percentage, which is still elite. Okay. Well, yeah. that's still elite. And he's, he might slug, you know, slugging 800. That's pretty good. Especially for a guy that's going to come in and spell, spell the outfield if Cordero's hurt. So I, I like that. Yeah, you know, he's playing his way onto my radar. And he's twenty five years old. Uh, turned twenty five okay, so last he's October. Up there a little bit. So, so then I'd, I'd start his clock. You're Go not worried about the clock, right? Yeah, because he yeah. he's into his thir- age thirty two, age thirty three. Yeah, he's season, not twenty one. So like start him. You know, he's not he's not a young guy. He's you know he's up there. So. I'd start him no problem if, if that helps the team. I think it would help the team. I don't know what, what Charlie thinks about him, but what I like about him is he gets on base and he doesn't strike out a lot. So sign me up. That's all I want from this team is not to strike out a lot. Go ahead, Charlie. No, I, I, I mean, I agree with Job. I don't, it'd be nice to see a team that didn't strike out a lot. It'd be nice to see a team that uh, was able to do kind of like that small – it's the small baseball tactics, getting on base, singles, doubles, slap, sh- like just slap hits, anything to get on base. Just it'd be a nice change from what we saw last year. A lot of strikeouts, a lot of ground outs, a lot of fly balls that just didn't get to the warning track. It'd be nice to see a little bit of a change. So, And I, I think the team is built now with Bloom's accusation, uh, you know, acquisitions to strike out more. So... Anything that changes that and brings on guys who don't strike out a lot, I'm in favor of. That's, that's so that's where our it. ooze would come in. That's where potentially, I mean, Christian Arroyo, how has he done in spring training? Did uh, we look at his numbers? Yeah. I, I, I haven't gotta, been looking at his spring training numbers because he's making the team, but I don't know if Terry has them. Yeah, no, Christian I. Christian Arroyo so I, far. I read him off four times. earlier. Yeah, he's got a three, he's swinging at a 348 clip right now, on base percentage 400. 609 slugging, OPS just over 1,000, and he built it. It's a good thing he's making the team. Yeah, I'm really impressed. Rob Bradford had a tweet earlier saying he's the best player in spring training so far. Um, I I think that's our ooze, quite frankly, but maybe he meant the best player who's going to make the team. Um, But, yeah, he's a guy. I'm going to – I'm going to buy a Christian Arroyo shirt this year, and if we can get into Fenway Park without – masks i'm exposing my politics here um then it would be wearing a christian royal shirt so um i i just not a papa bond shirt uh, it's too 58 seems like the lucky shirt it's i know seriously here, here, i'll wear it under i'll wear it under that one how's that there you go okay, thank like you that. do that since march 4th where you know he had only played in three games he was one for seven he struck out three times he struck out one time one 
in his last 16 at-bats, which doesn't seem like that much. But one strikeout in 16 at-bats, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. That's and significantly better than most people on the that, team. That's a heck of a lot better. He's had two home runs in his last two games. That's obviously not sustainable. We know that. He hasn't struck out. He's struck out one time in the last seven games. Forgive me, but where, where I will take that. Him find him playing time. Why is Dahlbeck starting in spring training right now? Just send Dahlbeck down. It's spring training. Who cares? Bobby Dahlbeck I, is not going to be making the team. I See, I think, unfortunately, he is going to make the team. That's where we differ. I, I would like to see the guys who are playing best make the team, but I think the organization has so much invested in Bobby Dahlbeck being the savior in the middle of the lineup. I, I agree. I agree. But at the same time, what is the best thing for the team? To bring Bobby Dahl back up or to not? To not. We do not want to see someone strike. Exactly. Yeah. It's the most beneficial thing for the team, too, uh, for multiple reasons. And we don't have to name all of them. But bringing him up right now hurts the team in the future. So, all right, so when, when we craft a tweet about you know what our takes are on this podcast, what I'm hearing is Bobby Dahlbeck trending down, bench guys trending up, and Chavis might make the team. That's that's what I'm hearing. Those are the, uh, the big takeaways from this this episode. I took away that Bobby Dahlbeck is not going to be making the team. I think that uh, Jonathan Arouz and Christian Arroyo are are beasting and feeding. These two are monsters. All right, they're going to be doing work. Right now, they're doing work. They have earned the right to be in this conversation. If they continue to do what they're doing, they will find their way into the lineup, whether it be playing from the sixth inning on, giving someone a break for the second half of the game, playing every second or th- every third game, or two out of five. They will figure out a way. And if it starts to cool off, then we cool our jets a little bit. We kind of reassess and reevaluate. But right now, I mean, I was a pessimist. I was a, I'm not going to say hater, but I, I was not feeling good. I was like, oh, God, it's like the the mascot from Waterboy. He, like, falls over the table because he's drunk. He's just kind of messed up, right? I wasn't feeling good about this. Last year, I didn't feel good, and I ended up being right, and that sucked. I hated being right. This year, I was negative, and now I'm starting to feel like I, I have I have some remorse and, and some not as much hatred in my heart. I feel like now the tide could potentially be turning, and I could be completely screwed by giving a little bit of rope, but right now... We've had a nice little win streak. Let's celebrate the victory. We're doing well. Things are working out. You got to continue working with what's going well. You can't see all of this success and be like, you know what? Sorry, guys. We appreciate everything you did, but Bobby Dahlbeck's your guy. It, it's just, gonna, it, I don't see it. I'm going to bookmark that little speech right there about <laughs> the hot hand and, and how we're winning a couple of games for when we go on a losing skid in June and we lose six of 10 and everybody in the fan base is freaking out. And then we sweep the Yankees and we can just insert that, that speech right there about how things are going well. And when they're not going well, we'll reevaluate. And it'll be at that time. It'll be at that time where Christian Arroyo and Jonathan Arruz each have home runs in probably two out of three games. And we won 14 to one, get blasted nine zero, then win seven zero, then get blasted 14 to six. It's going to be a crazy season. It's going to be absolutely insane. It is the stock market in another form. It's going to be up and down, and there's going to be me pulling out my hair, probably shaving my head, doing all sorts of crazy stuff. I'll look like Terry. 
No, no more, no more shaved heads on the on the podcast, please. We got too many shaved heads on the team. It's starting to freak me out a little bit. We have can't tell them all apart. I think we have three, right? Terry, Drew, Brad. Oh, oh Brad. Joey. Yeah. Joey's ball too, right? Joey. Yeah. Joey. Joey. Oh, Did Brad cut four? Yes, yeah. we got four. Yeah. Come on, Joe. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Terry, what are your takeaways? Uh, kind of from this episode. What are your your big points? Well, I mean, it's a team that has a ton of question marks. It has a ton of versatility. And I bet by the time July rolls around, regardless of we're playing good or we're playing bad, we're going to look back and be like, that's not what I saw coming. And there'll be some twists and turns. But... But anyway, we will wrap for this episode. We'll probably be back, I'm guessing, on Wednesday to do another kind of recap of what's going on in the next few games. Erod will probably have made a start in there. Um, perhaps Richards, I'm not sure. But we'll be back to cover that all. Take care, everyone.